0: Alright, here we are now, and today I'd like to share with you some of my personal experiences having completed my 10th 10-day Vipassana retreat. I literally just walked in about 10 minutes ago, came into my room, set up my microphone, set up the camera, set up the laptop and the lights pressed record, and here we are. So I'm fresh out of the Vipassana retreat. And this one was my 10th, and I'd like to share just a few insights, a few experiences from that, and also just more generally of what it's like to be in the Vipassana discipline for some time and to have a variety of experiences and to compare and see well, what's it like? So, I've sat seven courses as a student, and I've served three. So altogether, that is ten Vipassana retreats, and they're all ten days each. So I've spent <laughs> I've spent a hundred days of my life doing nothing but v- Vipassana. And you might say, well, how many hours is that? And it could be, you know, something. I think if you to count. 12 hours a day or something, 16 hours a day, somewhere around a 1,000 hours to 1,500 hours, something like that, right? It's basic maths. So if you're looking at the 10,000 rule of 10,000 hours for the mastery of something, you know, you're not even close. (laughs) It's not even close to being a master of meditation. You could say, well, Dosta, you've been meditating outside of that as well. What about your morning meditation, your evening meditation? What about your studies overseas? What about your other retreats? And you could say, well, yeah. Even if I add all that up, we're probably not even close to halfway to 10,000 hours. So, yeah, still very much a beginner. And even if you're, even if you're looking at 10,000 hours, it's really not what the limit. Is, right if we're talking about meditation you really want more like twenty thousand hours thirty thousand hours forty thousand hours fifty thousand hours right that's the sort of level that we aspire to and the amount of fair estimation as to what it's going to take to achieve well to achieve what that's sort of... A bit of a rabbit hole that we can go tumbling down. And this thing of, well, how progressive are you? How advanced are you? Is something that came up in a funny sort of way when I was at this retreat because I was standing around talking to some people at the end, and this guy was like, wow, you've done 10 of these. You must be, you know, you must be great. You must be killing it. You must fly through these courses. And I was like, I laughed and I said, no. I'm still a beginner. I'm still very much a beginner. And I remember when I was doing my first course, seeing the other more experienced sitters or meditators, people who meditate, and thinking, wow, that guy's done like a, a 20-day course, a 30-day course. He must be killing it. And And he said something similar to me, right, when I asked him about, you know, what's it like to be really far down the path he said, "No, I'm still a beginner." And I thought, "Nah, he's just being modest. He's just, he's just playing himself down. He really is, you know, a badass meditate, meditation practitioner. And he's just sort of humbling himself because, you know, we all we all remain humble. You know, it's it's sort of like a fake humble, like, oh yeah, I'm humble, but really, you're not humble." And And I laugh now because I realize that really he was being humble. (laughs) When he was saying he's still a beginner, it's like, damn, there's so much more to make. There's so much more to discover. There's so much more that it takes to step again and again into those more aware states. And that's really the game. That's the whole essence of it. Right? How do we, again and again, remind ourselves that there is a higher awareness, there is a deeper sensitivity, and it takes practice. It takes consistent practice over years. And going into this 10th course, I had actually served the... Course directly before it, so it was almost like a double course. And I'd actually, I've actually served double courses before. So I've done ten and then ten serving, and this time I've done ten serving and then ten sitting. And the reason I've done that, or the way that that came up for me, was I was on about day three of serving, and some stuff was coming up. Some really heavy sankaras, as they call it, more desires or unresolved issues and challenges. And I really felt, wow, this is this is so hard. I need to have a breakthrough. I need to really smash this. And I just applied for the course, went on the waiting list because there were no positions available. And by a kind of miracle, someone pulled out and I got a spot. And so I thought, okay, great. I'm going to serve and that will bring me into a deep sit. I'll be able to work. I'll be able to get rid of all these Sort of any any small subtle addictions you know no coffee no, no no excessive internet use you know these little things no meat no fast food no processed foods no sugary foods you know getting all of that off while I'm working and also sitting four or five hours a day and then I'll be I'll be ready I'll be ripe to start deep and go even deeper as I sit and what actually happened was the opposite of my expectation right because your expectation is, You start off at a point, and then you go into the course, and you get deeper. And then you come out at the end of the course, and you're in this amazing space. You're in this very deep space. You've done the work. You've gone through the process. So by that logic, you should be able to say, Well, okay, I come to the end of serving, and I'm in a deep place and then I go directly into another course, so I go even deeper, right? Basic logic, makes sense. Not the case. (laughs) For me, it was actually very much the opposite. I actually really struggled. I actually could not even do it, right? I couldn't even do the technique. I couldn't even concentrate for more than three seconds. I couldn't do Anapana. I couldn't feel the body scan for more than three seconds and I was like damn what's wrong with me it was quite frustrating quite tedious and it even got to about day five where I thought man I'm going to give up there's no point being here I really want to just get out of here right now that's a (laughs) that's a common thought that we all face at times right that's one of the things that is sort of always there lurking as a kind of a shadow, which is like, ah, what am I doing here? What a waste of time, or I need to get out of here. There's no point to this, right? That, That sort of space is actually quite common in long retreats. And on day five, I was like, okay, I can't concentrate for three seconds. I can't do the technique. I haven't got anything deep sort of in my processing coming up or even anything like that. It's not like I'm having these big existential realizations or different states, which are not related to Vipassana, and that can happen as well. I'm not having big contemplation sessions. And so I thought, okay, I'll go to the teacher. And in my 10 retreats, I've never been to the teacher. I've never asked a question, I've never needed it. It's just like, what's the point, right? So I've never had a meeting with the teacher until now. And I sat down with him and I said, look, I I can't do it. And he was able to say, look, whatever happened in previous retreats, well, now you're dealing with something new. Whatever your expectation is, well, now you're dealing with something new. And the key to it is to come back to your sensation. It's to work with the breath. It's to work with the body scan. It's to work with your concentration. It's to work with sensation. And this is, of course, just his way of saying, come back to the technique, right? It's, it seems like such cheap advice. And in many ways it is, because it's always the same advice, right? The teacher is only ever going to say to you what he always says, he or she always says, which is, come back to the technique. And that's partly why I never went to the teacher, right? But to hear him say it and to hear him really put it in and I was like, okay, it it got to me a little bit, right? What the teacher said wasn't like a, like, oh, okay, now I've got it and now I've got it. It wasn't like that at all. It was just sort of just a little kick in the right direction. It was just a little sort of hit that I needed. And after that, I was able to get into the technique and get into the process and to really find my stride. And from there, well, actually, some very big problems started to arise, right? Huge imagination, big fantasy, big stories of relationships, big aspirations, you know, just just wild, crazy things in my mind. And yet... Also, being able to deal with it and see through it because of a rootedness in the technique, a connection to the technique. So, that's a little bit about my sort of journey through the last 10 days. And it's really hard to quantify, right? One of the things I said to the people at the end when we were all sort of standing around talking about our experiences was, you know, we're not getting a mark out of 10 for this. Right, It's not an assessment. And sure, there are yardsticks that we use for meditation and spiritual progress, if you want to put it in such terms. But really, really, it's quite hard to quantify. Really, it's quite tricky to even say, well, am I better off or not? And here's how you figure this out. Here's how you see this. At a certain point, it becomes glaringly obvious. It's not a question of, have I made some tiny little incremental improvement in my life? It's a question of, wow, my whole life has had this amazing turn for the better amazingly profound, deep and meaningful turn for the better. And it is out of the question as to how much better off I am because of this. So much of the time when we do personal development or our own routine, we might get caught up in those little increments, right? Is it worth me to do that little thing? Is it worth my time to make that little, right, these little increments? incremental, tiny, you know, chipping away at it things. And we're so caught up in, well, I want a result now. If I I do something, I want to be able to see that it's good for me. I want to be able to make that connection. I really want to be able to make that connection. Now, on one level, that's smart, right? You would think that's smart, right? You live your life by saying, I do things that are good for me. They make me feel good and they're good for me. So I do them. If I do something and it makes me feel bad, if it's bad for me, then I stop doing that thing, right? That's sort of like a basic ABC sort of assumption for life. And yet, when you're working with Vipassana and you're working with a 10-day retreat, you can't do that, right? You can't use that sort of metric because you might sit down to meditate and feel miserable or agitated or have some wild fantasy. Or have some sort of story go off in your head, or have pain in your back, and oh my goodness, the pain in the back. I'll I'll talk a little bit about that in the in a moment. But that sort of pain or that agitation or the things that you're working with actually compound into a kind of strength. They compound into a higher awareness, a deeper ability. And that comparison, right, of oh, I do this action and is it good for me? is completely out of the window, is completely out of the question. You you walk out of those 10 days, you, you drive home, and it's just like, whoa, right? It's no question. Now, to help illustrate this a little bit more, what's it like to really navigate experientially your life because that's what we're talking that's what awareness is it's how do you navigate reality and that is such a big sort of lofty idea you know reality navigation you know these are big grand words what does that actually mean practically and you get a sense of that after 10 days of meditating <laughs> and my experience of this was well i'm driving my car and I can really see things. I can really feel how it is to be driving. And I stop at the service station. And I get out of the car and I feel how it is to walk into that service station. And there's someone there by a motorbike talking to their friend. And there's something in the radio and I can hear that. And I walk in it's like a big... Shopping aisle full of drinks and colors. and The blaring radio says, your chance to win $10 million in the lotto jackpot this Friday or whenever, right? It's like, whoa, right? And there's all these foods and all this, you know, snacks and chocolate, and it's all colorful. And I was there because I wanted to get a snack. I wanted to get a drink and it was just like okay now now there's soap okay i'm looking at soap okay now there's there's ice cream i'm looking at ice cream it's like okay this is the navigation this is the sensitivity this is the, the sort of the temptation of to get the junk food now of course there there's no temptation there for the junk food there's no there was no temptation there for me to have a sugary drink or a fatty drink or a caffeinated drink. Because I knew it wouldn't make me feel good. Right? I wouldn't enjoy it. And I ended up getting a juice, which is sort of still you could argue not very healthy. <laughs> and I ended up actually not enjoying it quite strangely. <laughs> and this this is really saying something after ten days of drinking only water. And that experience of of being in the environment and and sensing exactly how each force is affecting you is the navigating of life, is the navigation of reality. That is navigating reality. And you can see it, right? That The advertising for the $10 million or the mainstream radio has a real effect effect it's a real push and how easy it would normally be to just be like caught up into it it doesn't mean you are going to go and buy a lottery ticket necessarily but it's still having an effect right it's still making an impression it's still sort of sucking you in and the thing that is aware of that the thing that can sense that and hold that and not resist it not fight it not give into it, but that can just see what is happening. See that as a force within your space. That is awareness. So I paid for my drink and I went out and it continued that all these things were happening, right? The guy on the motorbike was still there talking to his friend. and I noticed just, just what it was like for me to get into the car. And to just sit in the car and to you know listen to some music, which was great. It's beautiful to listen to music. And to drive back into the city and to see the advertising. This this always gets me every time. It's the advertising. And the and the people, right? You know, it's like I'm doing ninety. You know, this guy speeds right past me and I go, oh, it must be a hundred zone or something. I'm doing I'm doing 90 in a 100 zone. Oh, silly me. I better speed up. So I speed up and then, <laughs> then I go past the speed sign and it says, well, 90, <laughs> right? So that's just the sort of stuff you see. That's the sort of stuff that's there. And I could feel already, you know, being behind someone in the traffic, hurry up. <laughs> it was so uncanny how quickly I was able to feel myself wanting to fall into that. Now, I didn't fall into it, right? I didn't say, hurry up and, uh, you know, I'm trying to drive here. I've got to get home, right? I've got to record this video. <laughs> but the but the, the push was there, right? There was something in me that wanted to do that. And I could see that it was coming. I could catch it before it happened. And it makes you think, it makes you wonder, Right? living in a city where you've got, like, thousands of these things. You've got the advertising, you've got the products, you've got the radio, you've got the billboards, you've got the way people drive, you've got the even the conditions in the road, the condition in your car, the conversations that you overhear, right? All of these thousands of things, they all add up. And they all come in. And your ability to navigate reality is the ability to deal with all those things. And without a strong awareness, you're basically just sucked into the city life. You're literally a rat on a wheel and the only way off that wheel is with awareness it's with an acute highly developed strong ability to navigate reality and that means the ability to get out of your car walk into a service station buy a snack and walk back It is as simple as that. Now, I did mention before that I was going to talk about (laughs) what it's like to sit on your ass for 10 days. And the physical side of that is, well, quite challenging because one of the things that is so challenging about the 10-day Vipassana retreat is just sitting with a straight back, right? You get a sore neck, you get a sore shoulder, you get a sore upper back, you get a sore lower back, then your knees start killing you and you're supposed to just sit there, right, for 10 days. And it would be like, damn, when is this pain going to stop? When am I going to be able to just sit and meditate? Now, I can say that by the time I've got to my 10th meditation retreat, (laughs) i would worked out the... I'd had the strength or built the strength to be able to sit without too much pain. Now some of my retreats in the past have been excruciating, right? I'll never forget that pain. The the agony in the legs and and particularly on day 4, right? There's a there's a leg in the journey on day 4 which I think everyone feels. And if you ever do one of these courses, you'll know what I'm talking about, but the, the afternoon session on day four people just like they get to the end of that hour and they oh the 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 look of everyone just getting up from their seat it, it's just it's just brutal mate it is brutal and you just think why do i do this am i a masochist what is the point of this And you do get stronger at it. You do get better at it. I think having served the course just before my 10th one helped, like if I was just going into a 10-day retreat cold, I think that, well, yeah, there would be some adjusting. There's always an adjustment period, you know, because I, I drive my car, I work at a computer, I sleep on a couch, I sit on this, Couch and give talks to you, right? All of this stuff sort of adds up to your posture, to your body composition. And to sit without a backrest is quite extreme when normally you're having these sorts of things in your life. So I don't want to be <laughs> discouraging as to say. Like, even if you do 10 retreats, you're still going to have pain in the legs. (laughs) But there is a kind of truth to that. And it really does depend on who you are, right? Some people can sit, some people are better at it, some people just have that type of body. But you do want to expect that there's going to be some challenges there. Now, to say a little bit about what it means to actually do multiple courses. How do the different courses compare? And if I think back to my first course, I think that was actually one of the most productive courses that I did. And that was because I was fresh. That was because I was sincere. That was because... I knew I was there to learn and to do it as I was told. And that's actually a trap for long-term meditators. That's actually a very deep problem that you have to contend with. Because by the time you've got to your 10th one, you think, I've heard this all before. I'm experienced. I know all this. And that actually works against you, because what you need is to adhere to the process to be a good student and to actually do as you're told to actually follow the technique to follow the routine to follow the instructions now there was i think at least one retreat where i went in with the attitude of i i won't do any of this i'll i'll just sit quietly i'll i'll follow the routine you know i'll follow the schedule but I- i'll just do what i want you know i'll enjoy thinking or i'll enjoy contemplating I'll enjoy doing my own inner exploration. I won't really pay any attention to the technique. I've got, you know, a few other, a couple of, <laughs> quite a few other techniques. I won't say how many. I don't want to put a number on that just at the moment. <laughs> but that attitude and to spend the 10 days doing that was nowhere near as productive as the times when I went in and I said, okay, I'm going to do it exactly exactly as I'm told, right? Some tech, some 10-day retreats, I went in and I said, okay, I'm going to do strong, determined sitting from day one. From day one. Normally, it doesn't come in until day four. The Atitanga sitting or strong, determined sitting, right? I'm going to do that from the very first moment in every session. And I'm really going to do just this technique and in some courses i actually had amazing breakthroughs just with anapana on the second day on the third day right all you're doing is watching the breath you have no idea how deep that goes just with anapana you you can break through you can actually just just burst your emotions burst your mind burst your perception and actually just feel your whole your your whole body literally enters into awareness by anapana, right? Just by breathing. It's so microscopic and yet so deep. And of course, I've heard similar things from other students who have said as much and who have meditated as much. Another thing I'll mention is that sometimes in the past, I have s- seen the older students talk about their, you know, multiple retreats, and I've thought to them, I've thought about them, man, man are you even getting it? You know, <laughs> it's like you've done your seventh one and you're not getting it. You've done your eighth one, you know, because I've heard people talk on videos and in person about their eighth, their ninth, their tenth retreat or their their year or two years, right? And you sort of it's it's sort of easy to sit there and listen to them talk and think, damn man, you're so dumb because you can't get it after all that time. And I've thought that in the past and now that I'm (laughs) now that I'm sort of more along the path, I've sort of got more of a maturity about that attitude because first of all it's not so obvious and easy to see what someone gets out of their meditation. To be able to articulate with words clearly is really I mean I mean even if you're really articulate and you illustrate your ideas and your experiences really well there's still a very large amount of things that can't be said or communicated, that come from meditation, right? So <laughs> to judge an older student in that way is quite immature to say that. And it, it is sort of like this thing that I came back to at the start or to come back to what, what I was saying at the start, which is that we are constantly trying to come into awareness And this notion of progress, this notion of, oh, I'm going to be at this sort of spiritual development and then over the years it's going to progress and get deeper in the way that it has so far is to misunderstand how progress works, right? It's not quite like that because you can get that sense because of the progress that you make, right? You think, ah, if I changed from before a retreat to how I was after a retreat, then that should mean that if I do 10 retreats, then I will have changed 10 times in that way. <laughs> right? It's just like 1 times 10. And that's not that's not exactly right at all. That's not even close to what's... what's <laughs> towards it like to what it is like <laughs> right? I mean it's it's simple logic right 1 times ten is 10 times one, but no, not at all. because what you're opening to is an experience so much deeper than your expectations than your plans than even your experiences. right you're opening, How's this for a bit of wisdom for you? You're opening to experiences that are deeper than your varieties of experiences. Can you follow that? However many experiences you've had, however many feelings, ideas, thoughts, perceptions... Openings, awakenings, breakthroughs, any of that. It's nowhere near as much as the experience that you are opening to. It's nowhere near as deep as what you are coming into, which is a deeper awareness. If we sort of put this another way, we can say, There is the experience of reality. There is the experience of life. And then there's your experience. And you're trying to bridge those. By meditating, you bridge those. Almost like life is a theme park. And you walk in and you try one of the rides. Right? You go on the roller coaster. You go into the mirror room. You go into the horror house. And you're sort of trying all these things. And you think, Ah, I know what this theme park is about. I know what's going on here. I'm starting to get a grip of it. (laughs) Well, this theme park is bigger than you think. This theme park is bigger than all of the rides you have been on. And you can't use any of those rides as a metric. In many ways, when you start a meditation retreat, you always start at square one. And this should be obvious just by the program because the old students, they have their program just exactly the same as the new students. They do Anapana for three days. They do the Strong Determined City on day four. They do the body scan when the new students do. Right, Everyone starts at day one everyone starts at square one and that is exactly because we're opening to deeper experiences every single time another thing that was funny was that I was put in the front row <laughs> and I felt quite strange about that I was like why am I why am I sitting in the front row right I was next to some guy who'd done you know like not like 60 day he done a 60 day course and spent like a year and a half serving and I was like oh damn how can i be next to this guy i'm not of that caliber and it was just like so strange but then that also was you know like you know just just get on with it that doesn't matter right <laughs> so that's sort of that's like one of the funny little things that you have where it's like you know, just, just get on with it, right? And there's a lot of those things. And in some ways, you wonder if there, they are there to test you, right? <laughs> it's almost like these little things are given to you as challenges in a meditation retreat. And there's actually quite a lot of those when you're in a big group, right? The guy behind me was snorting, right? He'd do this grunt with his, with his nose, And I thought, okay, well, that's annoying, but, you know, I'm here to be tolerant and compassionate and patient, so I understand that. And then he did it again 30 seconds later, and then he did it again 30 seconds later, and then 30 seconds later, he did it again. And I was like, okay, is he going to keep this up for the whole hour? And he did, and I thought, okay, is he going to keep this up for the whole day? And he did. And we got to about day seven. And I thought, "Mm, is he going to keep it up for the whole 10 days? And he did. So, (laughs) if you were the guy sitting behind me that was snorting the nose every 30 seconds for 10 days straight, you might want to see a doctor. (laughs) And another thing that pisses me off. This is for all you new students. Don't bring your watch into the meditation hall. You don't need a watch. Your eyes are closed. The teacher's going to tell you when the hour is up, particularly if it goes beep, beep on the hour, right? I don't want to hear beep, beep on the hour. I want to be able to meditate through the hour, particularly in the afternoon one, right? Because the afternoon session is 2.30 to 3.30. Then I hear this beep beep and I go, oh great, so I'm halfway through. Ugh, these new students are so dumb. <laughs> and don't bring your water bottle into the hall either. Right? And don't point your feet towards the front of the teacher. You're not supposed to do that. Leave your water bottle outside. You can go, you can go one hour without. Sipping on water. You will not die. That is my wisdom as an old student to all you new students. And don't cough. And don't sneeze. And don't fart and don't burp. Right? You don't really need to do these things. Right? (laughs) Am I becoming... Is this what I've become as just the the elitist old student being a real nasty... (laughs) Real nasty guy to the the new students. I did sneeze once in the 10 days. And that was partly because I was wearing a coronavirus mask, which was actually another challenge unto itself. I could probably say a few things about that. But normally I go the whole 10 days without sneezing or coughing. And that's because I've had the training, right? I've had the attitude of realizing you don't need to do that. And you might say well cough is a refl- is a reflexive reflexive thing. A sneeze is a reflexive thing you can't you know you can't control that. Well actually you can. That's something that you can discover. As the that, that that in fact is the exact thing that you discover when you discover this awareness of your body, right? You feel the sneeze coming on. And then you go, okay, watch the respiration. Ross, Watch the sensation. And then watch how does it feel in the area around it. And then you move your point to the back of your head. And You compare that feeling to the feeling of the sneeze coming on. And then you sense your toes. And you sense your shoulders. Then you sense the breath again. And then you scan around the elbows and you feel your awareness you see that this feeling of the sneeze coming on is just a smaller thing into a inside a larger experience and then you just watch it you don't resist it you just let it fade and it just fades away and then you realize ah i didn't need to sneeze And this is, in some ways, akin to seeing the advertising, right? The billboard comes up. Ah, there's a feeling. There's a desire of some sorts. or well, there's an inkling. Don't resist it. Just watch it. Just sense how my experience of that is. And, well, now it's passing. Now it's fading. Right? That's awareness. That's awareness in action. So yes, it yes it is very important as a new student, you do all these things. Don't point your feet to the front. Don't bring your water bottle in. Don't cough and sneeze. And don't bring your watch. <laughs> oh, I'm going to be manager of one of these courses one day. Most likely. And... I'll probably <laughs> i probably have to pick some student up and throw him out and the teacher's saying, you know, you know, Doster, you can't be a manager like that. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I don't know. It is it is a lot of work. It is it is sort of like being in prison. It is quite tedious towards the end, right? It's a long drawn out. Process by the time you get to day eight, day nine, right? D- day nine is really a tough day because you're thinking, oh, all the things I want to do when I get out of here, and then you know you've still got a whole another day, and wow, yeah, wow, it- it's hard to quantify. It really is, but I recommend it, right? I recommend it to anyone, to anyone who would. Be interested in such things because the, this thing of awareness, it like you can't beat it, right? It beats any sort of taste of life that you might have otherwise, any sort of hang up that you have, right? Just take one example say you want kids, say one of your big life goals is to have kids and start a family. It's like, well, once you do that, once you get that, there's no point unless you can live it. Right? Unless you can experience your child, there is no point in having children. Say you already have children. Say you already have a family. It's like, well, how often do you really see what it is that they're teaching you? How often is it that you relish those microscopic genius little actions that your child does? Their inventiveness, their playfulness, their freedom, their spontaneity, their absolutely unique, unique way to navigate reality, right? That's what a child is. A child is making their way through reality by discovering things, interacting, playing. And that's your chance to see, wow, there's a lesson there. And you can't relish that unless you have awareness. There's no point in having kids... If you're just going to, like, control them, to put your experience onto them, try to get them to fit into your world via rules and regulations and negotiations, right? I've heard people say that about their kids. To work with kids is a negotiation. And maybe, you know, maybe there's actually some truth to that, (laughs) But on a higher level, your relationship with your kid is to answer the call to be more aware. To answer the call to be relating on a deeper level, experiencing life on a deeper level. And that's exactly what a Vipassana meditation retreat will show you. It's what it will allow you to do. And it goes for not just relating to kids, but going into a service station and buying a snack. How do you relate to that object on a deeper level? How do you relate to the guy behind the counter on a deeper level? When I went to the counter, the guy was actually talking to one of his co-workers he actually completely ignored me. He didn't see I was there at all. It took him like a whole minute <laughs> to even notice I was there. He turned around and he was like, "Oh, sorry, I didn't, you know, you know, he sort of hurried up and thought, I "Hope I didn't keep you waiting," sort of thing. You know, it didn't it didn't bother me, right? And it wasn't it wasn't even like oh, I'm very patient because I've just come back from 10 days of meditation. It wasn't even like that at all that sort of metric doesn't that sort of that sort of mechanism doesn't even come into it. So that's a bit of a yarn. It feels good to be back. And that's really all I have to say for today. Now the way I'll finish up this episode is just by saying if you are following along, please do leave me some comments. I do like to read these comments. We like to know that someone's listening and I don't know if anyone's listening unless I get a comment. And another thing, do take notes. If you're listening to these episodes, have a piece of paper and a pen and just write down some of the key points that come out. Because from here on in, we're going to be going at breakneck speed, right? We're going to be going top speed, deep, dense. And you don't want to have to listen to the episode twice to get your notes. So make it the first time through. Is the only time through that you listen to it. And have your notepad ready just to dot down the keywords, the key points. So that's a little bit of advice. And of course, do subscribe so you can keep up with the next talk that will be coming out very soon. So, yeah, hope you're having a good day. Really good to be back. (laughs) So thanks very much. And we'll be back soon with more.